Hello, and welcome to the House of Legends, where you can hear world myths and legends told by a professional storyteller. If you're a new listener, welcome and thank you very much for joining us. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're a new listener, then hit subscribe now in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. On this podcast, you'll hear myths and legends told by myself and master storytellers from across the world. You can get access to every House of Legends episode by becoming a patron. By pledging $5 per month or more, you'll receive a patron-only episode each month, along with a worksheet full of questions and creative prompts to help you deepen your connection to the story. As well as being an oral storyteller, I'm also an author and a storytelling coach. You can find my books by searching for Daniel Allison on all the major online bookstores, with my full catalogue available online on Amazon. You can get my book The Shattering Sea as a free download on all ebook platforms. If you're interested in becoming a storyteller yourself, or you're already a storyteller and would like to develop your craft, you can join my online storytelling school, The Roundhouse, or my Myth Singers coaching program, which includes Roundhouse membership, plus two monthly group coaching sessions with me. Visit roundhouseschool.com to explore the roundhouse and download a free pack of stories. You'll find links to all of the above in the show notes. Before we get going, I wanted to mention a little tweak I'm making to the podcast, something which is quite significant for me, though maybe not so much for you. When I started the podcast, I was very excited to make an oral storytelling podcast in the sense that the stories wouldn't be scripted, they'd all be told in the old style using memory and improvisation. However, as the years have passed and my own work has grown and changed and evolved, I found myself drawn to share scripted stories on the podcast. I've been writing a lot of stories down, as I'm publishing fairly frequently now, and my own work as a storyteller in the broader sense does encompass being both a writer and oral storyteller. So I've got a lot of material in written form that I really want to share with you. So I've decided not to limit myself just to oral recitation, but to tell you more written stories. That feels true to what I do and increases what I have to share with you. And hopefully you'll be happy with that and enjoy these stories, which have a slightly different feel to them, but also have plenty of magic in them. It's just a different shade of magic. Our story this week is the Scottish story of the Smith and the Fairies. The story comes from the island of Isla, which is mostly known nowadays for smoky whiskies such as Laphroaig and Lagavulin. But if you had lived in Scotland long ago, and were the kind of person who knew about swords, you would have known Isla as the home of a legendary sword called the Isla Hilt, or the Ceaun Illach. And in this episode's story, taken from the forthcoming second volume of Scottish Myths and Legends, you'll learn how that sword came into being in the story of the Smith and the Fairies. On the island of Isla, there once lived a blacksmith named Alistair McKeeker. He lived and worked in the west of Isla 
close to the wild Atlantic Ocean, and the tale that is told of him will never be forgotten there. Alistair's wife was lost to him, but he had a son, Neil, whom he had raised himself. Ever since Neil was a baby, Alistair dreamed of the day his son would join him in the forge as a fully-fledged smith. The two of them would work together in unison, sweating in the heat of the forge fire each day, before retiring to drink a well-earned cup of ale in the evening. He started the boy young, having him fetch things from the house to the forge when he was very small, and pump the bellows once he grew older. Neil loved helping his father. The forge was a kind of temple to him, a place of shape-shifting magic, where stone itself could be melted down and crafted into new shapes by the strength and design of his own father. He took satisfaction in the respect paid by other men to his father, who was privy to mysteries they would never understand, and whose arms were thicker than their chests. By the time he was 13, Neil was wielding the hammer himself. By the time he was 14, his father entrusted him to finish simple commissions himself. You'll be a better smith than me, son, said Alistair. Far better. You only need a few more years to build your strength and there'll be no stopping you. And that was how things were for Alistair and Neil, until one morning when their fortunes turned. Alistair woke up just before dawn. He dressed and went through to the main room of the house, expecting to find Neil building at the fire or stirring a pot of porridge. Neil was always up before him. Today, though, the house was silent and Neil was nowhere to be seen. I must be tired, said Alistair to himself. Maybe I'll work him too hard, even if he is keen. The boy needs rest as well as work if he's to grow strong. So Alistair awoke the sleeping fire and made the porridge himself. Has the porridge ready, son? called Alistair eventually. It was all right to lie in a little, but you couldn't let the boys sleep all day. Come on now, it's getting cold. There was no response. Alistair put down his own bowl of porridge, went to Neil's bedroom door, and he let himself in. Neil's room was as dark as a grave. It smelled terrible, though that wasn't unusual. Neil was in bed, turned away from his father. Let's not be lying in bed all day like an old man, said Alistair. Come on out of bed. Silence. Are you sick, son? Now Alistair was worried. He went to the window and opened the curtain to better see his son. And he gasped. Neil's once sleek, dark hair had turned a fitted yellow. His ruddy skin had overnight turned thin, brown and wrinkled like old beaten leather and hung loose from his cheekbones. And perhaps worst of all, his strong smith's muscles had wasted away to nothing. What? What? What's happened to you, son? Alistair shook his son, frightened by how frail the boy felt beneath his fingers. What's happened? Neil mm, grunted. Nothing. Go away. I'm sleepy, he said. Do you need a doctor? No. Leave me alone. Alistair wasn't going to drag Neil out of bed. He was half tempted to, but he was scared that he would break him. 
so he left and went through to the forge, hoping that at some point, after he'd started work, his son would appear at his side, looking and acting the way he normally did. But Neil never appeared, and Alistair worked alone that day, falling behind on his work. Neil was the same when Alistair looked in on him at lunchtime and in the evening. There was no change the next morning, at which point Alistair insisted to Neil that he see a doctor. Still in his bed, in his room which now smelt like a rotting carcass far beyond any normal teenage boy room smell, Neil whipped round and fixed Alistair with a look that could have melted steel. No. Doctor. If, if that's what you wish, said Alistair, back in a way. Alistair worked alone again that day, pounding the steel with such fury that the ringing of his hammer echoed across Isla. He stopped only to put down his hammer, bend his shoulders and weep. Alistair's fortunes turned again when Cormac McEachern came to visit. Cormac was a distant relative and an old friend while most people on the island never travelled further than Jura or perhaps Campbelltown, Cormac's road through life had taken him as far north as Orkney and as far south as Newcastle. He loved to stop in and visit people wherever he went, hearing their stories and telling his own, and it happened that his road brought him to Alistair's door a week or two after the change came over Neil. "'How's that fine son of yours?' said Cormac, as he sat down and accepted a mug of ale from Alistair, who'd been mending rope by the fire when Cormac knocked. Alistair drank deep from his own mug. It wasn't his first that day. He's not so well, Cormac. He's, he's, he's not well at all. So Cormac listened to Alistair's story, looking increasingly concerned. When Alistair had finished, he said, I have a suspicion what might be wrong with him, but I'll need you to do something for me before I say any more. What's that? Uh, it will sound strange to you. Just tell me. Very well, said Cormac. Listen to me carefully. This must be done right. That evening, Alistair McEachern entered his son's bedroom, carrying a basket full of eggshells in one hand and a bucket of water in the other. Shuddering at the smell, he set down his basket and bucket by the fireplace and kindled a fire. When that was done, he carefully placed each eggshell on the floor before the fire. As he worked, Alistair heard Neil stir. He felt his son's eyes on him. Once he had taken all the eggshells out of the basket, he picked up two eggshells and walked over to the bucket. Bending over the bucket, Alistair scooped up water in the eggshells as if they were tiny bowls. Alistair turned and carried the eggshells back to their places before the fire. And as he did so, he bent over and he grimaced as if speckled vessel was as heavy as an anvil. Alistair returned to the bucket, 
with two more eggshells and then staggered back to the fireplace. He gave the impression that they were colossally heavy and of taking great care to set them down in just the right place. Over and over, Alistair did this until a laugh rang out through the room. Alistair turned to face Neil's bed where his leather-skinned son was sitting up, his eyes gleaming, his mouth revealing broken brown teeth as he cackled hysterically, slapping his knees. Eight hundred years, he said, struggling to speak through his laughter. Eight hundred years I've lived, and eight thousand strange things I've seen, but I've never seen anyone do that before. Cormac returned the next day. I see from the look in your eyes that you did what I asked of you, he said to Alistair. Aye, said the ashen-faced smith, who had not slept the previous night. And I see from the look in your eyes that you got a fright. Aye, aye, you could say that. Cormac nodded. Well then, don't you look so worried? Now we know what the problem is, we can fix it. The problem? That creature in Neil's bedroom is not Neil. Though I'm sure you've guessed that even if it's only in your heart. It's a changeling. They swap their youngsters with ours sometimes and this time they've taken your Neil. Everyone knows the stories so you'll know that he's with the fairies now in their hall beneath the hill. All you need is to get him out of there, and I'm going to tell you how. That's all? Well, no, said Cormac, grimacing. There is something else you have to do first. Alistair returned to Neil's bedroom that evening, this time with a basket of logs. Once more, he lit and built up his son's fire. He went on adding wood until the fire was roaring and sweat poured from his brow. Behind him, the changeling stirred. Too hot, it moaned as if half asleep. It's too hot in here. Alistair went on feeding logs into the fire. I said it's too hot. Alistair fed his final log into the fire. He stood up and turned to face the changeling. Why are you looking at me like that, father? Alistair approached the bed. Father, said the fairy, his voice suddenly sounding more like Neil's. You're scaring me. I'm sorry. Whoever, whatever you are, I want my son back. Alistair lunged forward and grabbed the creature. He lifted it out of the bed as it screamed and thrashed and hauled it across the room towards the fireplace. No, please, father, no, I'm your son, I'm your Neil. It sounded just like Neil now, but Alistair wasn't fooled. With a great roar, the smith threw the changeling into the fire. The fairy hit the flames. As it did so, it became a cloud of smoke, which whirled and whirled around the room before shooting up the smoke hole in the middle of the roof. Alistair 
stood shaking before the raging fire. He had completed his first task. Now for the second. Luckily for Alistair, that very night was Samhain and a full moon. He could begin his second task. By the light of the moon, he left his house. It was a warm, clear evening. The sea was calm, the stars all awake and whispering to one another. Alistair's first stop was his hen house. Here, he picked up his cockerel and stowed the bird under his cloak. It writhed and scratched at first, but eventually fell still. Next, Alistair left his house behind him and crossed the island until he neared the fairy hill. With the cockerel now sleeping under his cloak, he stopped and listened. He heard the sound he had hoped to hear. Music. Alistair turned off the road. He followed the faint pathway leading to the hill. Drawing close, Alistair saw an open doorway into the hill itself. Firelight glowed from within and the air was thick with the sounds of music and feasting. I'm coming for you, son. I'm coming for you. Alistair approached the door. Drawing his dark knife from his belt, he plunged it into the doorframe, just as Cormac had instructed. Pulling his hood down over his face, Alistair entered the fairy hall. Fairy folk filled the hollow hill. Alistair did his best to keep his head down and not stare, but it was hard. They were beautiful, with long shining hair and exquisite clothing and jewellery, and they danced with both abandon and elegance. The music was unlike anything Alistair had heard, subtle and sensual, yet wild and galloping. Surely he could, surely he could allow himself just one dance. No, he told himself, shaking his head. Kneel, find Neil. The smith skirted the room, passing tables where fairies feasted and argued and told tales, their young scampering beneath their feet. He avoided eye contact with anyone and soon heard through the music the ringing of a hammer. At the far side of the hall from the door was an antechamber leading off the main hall. Alistair approached and stepped inside. It was the fairy forge. Metalwork and tools lined the walls while at the far end of the hot, hot chamber before the forge and with a hammer in hand sat Neil. Alistair choked down a sob. He approached his son and put a hand on his shoulder. Neil turned and looked at him. His eyes narrowed. He seemed to be wondering where he knew Alistair from. Son, said Alistair, it's me, it's your father. I've come to get you out of here. But Neil just stared at his father and seemed confused. Working, working, he eventually said. And he turned back to inspecting the sword that sat on the anvil before him. 
Alistair glanced at his son's work. It was breathtaking. Pride mixed with pain in his heart. There's plenty of work for you back home, but I promise you that. Come on, son. So after more cajoling, Neil reluctantly set down his hammer. Alistair, half-led, half-dragged his son away from the forge, Neil looking longingly behind him. They skirted the hall together, Alistair's pace quicker now. The door was ahead. They had almost reached it when a great cry went up among the fairies and the music stopped. Alistair and Neil turned to face the fairies. Every one of the fairies was staring at them, disbelief, horror, anger on their faces. A fairy man came forward. He was tall, he was sharp-eyed, he had the look of a leader. You have entered our home unbidden. And you, he said, pointing at Alistair, are attempting to steal our smith. He's not your smith. He's my son, my apprentice, and I'm taking him home. I do not allow it. Well then, in that case, said Alistair, I'll fight you for him. The fairy man laughed at that, and all the other fairies around him began to laugh. Everyone in the hall was now laughing louder and louder and louder. It was deafening. It was as Cormac had predicted. Beneath Alistair's cloak, the cockerel awoke, and just as he always did upon waking, he bellowed his greeting to the sun. The fairies stopped laughing and began screaming. Fairies love the night better than the day, Cormac had said. The sound of a crowing cockerel is agony to them. Cormac's words proved true. The fairies fell to their knees, wailing and cursing and covering their ears as the cockerel went on crowing, Alistair holding it high above his head now. Get out, screams the fairy man. Get it out of here. Alistair obliged stuffing the cockerel under his cloak again, grabbing Neil's hand and dashing for the door. On their way out, he grabbed his dagger, pulled it from the doorframe, causing the door to swing shut behind them. The night was suddenly silent. They were safe. Alistair and Neil returned home. Neil went straight to bed and he slept late the next day. But when he woke up, he came through to the main room and he accepted a bowl of porridge. This wasn't a fairy changeling. This was Neil. Will you come through to the forge today? Asked Alistair. I don't mean to push you. I don't want to push you at all. You've been through a lot. But I could do with a hand and, well, best not to dwell on things I always say. You'll feel better with a hammer in your hand and work on your mind. That's what I think. Neil nodded. Hi. Uh, I will do. Later. Well, all right then. But Neil didn't come through to the forge that day. He didn't come the next day either, or the next week, or even the next month. Alistair despaired. He tried gentle coaxing. He tried shouting at his son. Nothing worked. Give him time said Cormac when he came by to visit. The days your son spent with the she, they would have seemed like years to him. He's, he's been through a big change. 
So Alistair did as Cormac advised, but as the seasons passed by with Neil doing little more than the changeling had done, he began to believe he would never truly have his son back. Until one day he was working in the forge when a voice said, Let me see that. Alistair turned around. It was Neil. He hadn't been in the forge since he came home. Alistair got up to make room for his son. Neil put on an apron, sat down and inspected the sword his father had been working on. It's uh, it's for the clan chief, said Alistair. Neil nodded. He raised the hammer and he brought it down. The sound clear and true. Neither father nor son left the forge until late that night. Alistair assisted Neil, pumping the bellows and bringing his son everything he needed before he asked for it. And as he did so, he watched in wonder as his son forged the finest sword he had ever seen. And that sword, that sword is the famous Isla Hilt. It went to the Lord MacDonald, chief of the island, and his descendants carried its likeness for many years afterwards. And as for Neil and Alistair, they worked together in the forge for many years, and life was far better than Alistair had ever dreamed it could be. hope you enjoyed the story. There are quite a few fairy changeling stories in Scotland, and the figure of the changeling has become fairly well known thanks to its mention in Outlander. I find this story really interesting as it focuses less on the changeling itself and the mayhem it causes, though those stories are fun, and more on the relationship between Alistair and Neil, who feel very real to me, and on what it is to come back from the fairy realm, from the other world. It's been said that in days gone by, The hardest part of the initiation was the initiation itself. The lion hunt, the days and nights spent in the darkness of the cave or out on the wild hill. Yet nowadays, the hardest part may be the return to a world which is ignorant of what the initiate has gone through. I think of this when I think of Neil. Though there are some left in his world with knowledge of the old ways, his well-meaning father just doesn't know how to handle them or what to do with them. It seems he mostly leaves him alone, which is probably far from the worst thing he could do. Neil, who has been under the ground, immersed in the secret crafts of the other folk, lies still as he grapples with what he has seen and known, and with his having returned. Have you ever felt that way? I'm guessing that you have. I certainly have, many times. For there are times, for those of us who apply ourselves to an art or craft, that the other world opens up its jaws and sucks us in. We go from making to being made. As with the hero of the crow's wife, we forge and we are forged. And then, in Neil's case and maybe yours and mine, we are suddenly spat out back into the world. What do you do with that? 
Perhaps you lie still, like Neil. Perhaps you set to work, which Neil may well have been doing in his mind, trying in vain to make sense of what he saw. You can make art of what you saw, and you can let it take years, let it take decades if need be. To artists, craftsmen like Neil and Alistair, a lifetime spent reaching for the dancing, elusive, ephemeral shards of such a moment is a lifetime well spent. As Rumi said, has anyone seen the boy who used to come here? Round-faced troublemaker, quick to find a joke, slow to be serious, red shirt, perfect coordination, sly, strong muscles with things always in his pocket, reed flute, ivory pick, polished and ready for his talent. You know that one. Have you heard stories about him? Pharaoh and the whole Egyptian world collapsed for such a Joseph. I would gladly spend years getting word of him, even third or fourth hand. That's all for this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please support it by sharing it on social media or even sharing the link with a few friends who enjoy a good story. I'd also really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, as reviews really help the podcast to grow. You can get access to every House of Legends episode by becoming a patron. By pledging $5 per month or more, you'll receive a patron-only episode each month, along with a worksheet full of questions and creative prompts to help you deepen your connection to the story. If you'd like to read stories as well as hear them, you can now find my books by searching for Daniel Allison at all major online bookstores, although currently you can only get my full catalogue on Amazon. You can get my free ebook, Silverborn, by visiting my website, www.houseoflegends.me. And don't forget, if you're interested in becoming a storyteller yourself, or you're already a storyteller and would like to develop your craft, you can join my online storytelling school, The Roundhouse, or you can join my Myth Singers coaching program, which includes a Roundhouse membership, plus two monthly group coaching sessions with me. You'll find links to all of the above in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.